It is your Thursday daily delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Another good one coming up. So I'm excited to be here today to talk to all of you once again. Star Tribune publisher Steve Grove, our new publisher, will join me here in just a few minutes talking about his perspective on the importance of sports and how they relate to what we do at the Star Tribune and some broader subjects too of the role the Star Tribune will play as uh, as Minnesota goes from now towards the future. So a good conversation with Steve Grove. Hope you enjoy that as well. Um, big development in uh, the TV, the ongoing TV discussion with the Bally Sports and various teams. Um, the Twins deadline for Bally Sports North to make their next payment for Diamond Sports, their parent company, to make that next payment is Saturday. With that looming, a, a key development on Wednesday could tip us off to what might be happening there. So I'll get to that in a little while. The Wild cho- uh, chose uh, Rosemount's Charlie Stramel in the first round, 21st overall. Had a little bit of a rough season with Wisconsin his first year in college this past year, but still plenty of upside. A 6-3 center. Those do not come along every day, so... That was the Wilds pick. We'll get to that in a moment here, as well as a Wolves offseason roster move that I thought was interesting as well and kind of a sign of the times where they are right now and where things are headed, perhaps in the future. First, though, what did I miss? Got to start with the Twins. I don't know if they hit rock bottom in their 3 nothing loss to Atlanta on uh, on Wednesday Swept by Atlanta, now 40-42 and 42 on the season. For a long time, we would add the qualifier. Yeah, but at least they're still in first place. That is not the case anymore. Cleveland Guardians have caught and passed the Twins. Cleveland winning yesterday. Cleveland is now a half game ahead of the Twins. So a lot of season left. It's the, the, Yesterday was officially the start of the second half of the season. They've now played 82 games. Um, but something's got to change here. And Rocco Baldelli um, really went deep and really went in on this team after after Wednesday's game, really not happy with the type of baseball they're playing, with the execution, especially on offense. Let's hear first from Rocco Baldelli before we dissect this any further. That's not good baseball. We got we got wiped this series by the team on the other side of the field. And... Uh, there's there's no way we can walk out of this with any any positives to be honest with you and that's that's the truth i mean if i'm uh rolling that up and trying to portray it any other way i'm lying so we have to make some really uh really legitimate adjustments um to what we're doing right now if we're going to go out there and and compete and win games against uh that team or really any other team so i'm not really pleased right now with uh with the effort this series and um the second half is here uh but we have we have some work to do in the second half because we can't we can't play like this we're gonna sit down and i think answer some pretty hard uh hard questions because uh, i said it what, what what we're doing you know just the reliance on good players just will eventually be good if they stick to their plan and things like that um it hasn't it hasn't come to fruition to this point so um this is uh like this is a legitimate challenge right now for for us as a staff but for our players um 
because each and every one of them, they can do better than what they're doing right now. It's our responsibility as the staff to get them there, but they can they can play better than what they're playing like. That is about as much as I can remember hearing Rocco Baldelli call out his team. He didn't name anybody by name, of course. Um, but Carlos Correa called himself out before the game, saying he takes responsibility for the offensive struggles, things like that, which is good. A leader should do that. But this goes deeper than Carlos Correa, even if he is by far their highest paid player and a symbol of their struggles. Uh, it, it's a whole lineup thing. And what I don't know yet, I don't. what I can't glean from what Rocco Baldelli was saying on Wednesday is whether he thinks the root of the problem is that players aren't executing a good plan or whether the plan being given to them largely by you know by the organization but largely by hitting coach David Popkins if they, what is it that he thinks needs to change does he does he need to see more from them in terms of their professionalism and their level of preparedness and they're willing to adjust in game or do they need to adjust the entire plan that's what I don't know yet that's what I don't think we know yet that's what I couldn't glean from what he was saying on Wednesday after that latest loss, but something has to change because, like I said, I don't know if they've hit rock bottom yet. There's a lot of season left. They could get worse. This could get worse. This could go even even further sideways. They might stay around the fringes of the race, but in this division, it, it's going to be hard not to, but I don't know if this is as bad as it's going to get, and they're going to now rally and get better because they do have players who have better track records or if it could get worse from here. What I do know is this is about as bad as I've seen it from the from the lens of Rocco Baldelli, from the lens of this is how he's viewing it right now because you don't usually hear him call out his team, call out his players. So that's what I'm watching for. What happens next? Is there some kind of move at hitting coach? Is there some kind of lineup shakeup? Is there nothing but internal kind of internal maneuvering because they had a you know a, they, they they closed the clubhouse after the game. On, on Wednesday, players are going to hash this out, talk this out. Is is it more of an internal thing where they've got to get better? I don't know. I don't know if we're going to see some sort of, if we're going to have our answers right away, but we're going to get clues along the way with approach, with how the lineup looks, or perhaps with, with who's who's giving them directives. So that's what I'm watching for in the next, you know, next few days. Does this get any better? And if not, how do they respond to that? Now, the question of how you will watch the Twins for the remainder of this season and certainly in 2024 and beyond remains unresolved. Um, Bally Sports North's parent company, Diamond Sports, has until Saturday to make a payment to the Twins. That's when, that's when a payment is due to the Twins, or they must notify the Twins via bankruptcy court by Saturday if they decide that they want to reject the contract, which would then... You know, start a process by which Major League Baseball could take over broadcasts in the middle of the season as they did for the Padres about a month ago. So we don't know what's going to happen yet, but we've gotten some clues along the way. One clue came last week when, when Diamond Sports filed in bankruptcy court an intent to reject its contract with the Diamondbacks, who are on a similar timeline with the Twins in terms of a payment being due July 1st. We took that as a sign of, hey, they're doing this. Doing this with the Diamondbacks and not the Twins, what does that mean for the Twins? Well, here's an even bigger clue. On Wednesday, uh, one day before a scheduled hearing to, to, in, in court to discuss that, uh, that, that desire of, of Diamond Sports to reject that contract, 
Um, the two sides released a joint statement um, between you know, Diamond Sports and the Diamondbacks released a joint statement saying they've decided to postpone um, the Thursday hearing due to, quote, ongoing and positive discussions towards finding a solution. During this time, Bally Sports North, uh, I'm sorry, Bally Sports Arizona will continue to broadcast Diamondbacks games, etc. So hearing that was scheduled for today in the case of the Diamondbacks has been postponed because those sides have some positive momentum and maybe figuring this out at least in the short term. What does that mean for the Twins? It doesn't mean anything specifically, but if you're kind of reading this situation, and I'm going to write about this more Thursday on StarTribune.com, if you're reading this, it's seeming more likely to me that the Twins will be on Bally Sports North at least for the rest of 2023, that there's not going to be this mid-year switch. If if Diamond Sports hasn't, hasn't filed yet to say they want to reject the contract, and if now in the case where they had with the Diamondbacks, if they're now saying, wait, we actually have some negotiations that are going on that are positive, let's not do this right now. If that's what's going on there, I'm just reading this and saying it feels like the Twins are going to be on Bally Sports North for the rest of this season. Now, that's not a fact. That's not any kind of stone-cold lock, anything like that. It just feels like that's where this situation is trending. So if you're hoping for one thing or another, um, you know, sorry or good, I don't know which, which way you're hoping this goes, but it feels to me just kind of sussing out this situation that it seems like right now the Twins will be on Bally Sports North still. There won't be that interruption, at least in the middle of this season. Doesn't mean things won't change for 2024 and beyond because their contract still is up at the end of this year. Doesn't mean that it'll automatically change after this year either, though, because those two sides could reach some sort of at least short-term extension on that deal, even with all the acrimony over the last few years. So stay tuned on that. The real deadline is Saturday. We'll know more for sure by then, but right now, looking like the Twins will still be on Bally Sports North, at least to me, for the rest of this season. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, premixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to mgmwineandspirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. It is a pleasure to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Steve Grove, new publisher of the Star Tribune. He's been on the job for a whirlwind 60, 70, 80. We, we're not quite, uh, we, we won't count them up all, Steve, but uh, it's been a lot so far. Every day I get your, every week I should say, I get your uh, your notes of what you've been up to, and it's been a lot. So I'm really happy that you have the time today to talk uh, talk sports, talk Star Tribune with me here on the podcast. So uh, welcome. How are you? Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Looking forward to this. Are you really? Just kidding. <laughs> I bet you are, because this, this is this is this fun. Is the fun stuff. This is the fun stuff. Yeah. There's 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 a lot to take in. I'm sure in your new role, um, you've been yeah. ambitious. You've had a lot of energy into it, as I can see so far. Um, for our listeners here, I, I specifically wanted to get into some some sports subjects, obviously, because this is a sports podcast. And you grew up in. Northfield, the Northfield area, and yeah. you 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 played some sports growing up. You have a, a you have Minnesota roots, even though you've gone around and done a lot of different things in your life. Um, just growing up, what what role did what role did sports play in in your life? And you know, playing, rooting, uh, things like that. Oh, I love sports growing up. I mean, Northfield is a great 
small sports town, and I grew up uh, playing football and running track. Uh, speed was probably my best asset. I wasn't uh, the most amazing football player on our team, but I, I loved to play the game, and I was a hurdler. So uh, I ran the 300 hurdles in high school and all the sprints. Uh, our football teams in high school were pretty good. We made it to uh, the prep bowl a couple of times, the semifinals a couple of times. I played receiver uh, and returned kicks. And then in college, I played as well out in Claremont McKenna College. I, I played football and ran track there too. I loved it. It was just uh, what you did, and it was really a big part of building my character. I think anybody who plays either team sports or individual sports will tell you it's just part of how you learn about the world, and it, it teaches you things you can't learn in the classroom. So it was a, a big part of, kind of my identity growing up. Sure. No, I, I imagine in Northfield, I'm, Northfield's kind of one of those fun places to like I, I did a lot of high school sports coverage back then so I you know back in the, the earlier part of my career and I, I think you know smaller communities like that but you know the kind of right on the fringe of the metro area you drive down to, to cover a game and that, those were good teams back then um, oh, yeah. you know I, I think those are those are some of the fun those kind of give you like the, the, the almost the quintessential it's not small towns Northfield's not a small small town but it kind of gives you that quintessential experience like when you imagine what High school sports are. I do imagine. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like Northfield is one of those communities. It is. Whole town comes out on Friday after the football game. People support each other. It's part of the identity. You know, there's parades at homecoming. It was really kind of an idyllic experience, and it brought people together. I mean, I think that's what sports can do, no matter where you are. Is it transcends a lot of the barriers that maybe keep us separated around a common thing we can enjoy and have fun with. And in Northfield, that was really special. I had a football coach growing up, Bubba Sullivan, who was oh, just I remember Bubba, sure. legendary coach. Yeah. His dad coached at Carlton in town as well yep. and just cared about us as people and brought us together as a team. And we were, gosh, uh, in middle school, we were one of the worst teams in our middle school leagues. We got to high school. Bubba just turned it around for us. And like I said, we made it to the state championship game, uh, lost to a couple of really great teams out there, but um, had a lot of fun with it. Did you, did your family, like, you know, do you, not too far, you're 45 minutes from, you know, downtown Minneapolis, downtown St. Paul, do you come here for games a lot? How, how, how was the rooting experience like in your household? Well, going to Metrodome was a special treat. Of course, when you're an hour away, you don't do it all the time, yeah. but going and, to a Twins game was... And everything happened at the Metrodome back then. It did. And it nothing was wasn't the there. That was, was it. The Mecca. Yeah. yeah. No, we love going to games. That was a special treat. Probably more Twins than Vikings games, if I'm honest. Um but we enjoyed that. But largely, when you're in a smaller town, it's about the high school teams, and, sure. and that was just kind of how we um, how we grew up. I remember my junior year, um, we had a bet as a football team about um, whether we'd win a certain game or not, and we said if we did win, we'd all shave ends in the back of our head. And okay. So, <laughs> after winning, we all had uh, very bad haircuts for a couple of weeks. Okay. Just kind of just kind of yeah. part of the culture. It was it was a lot of fun. Sounds like the all hockey hair team or something. Yes, where, you know, yeah. you gotta you gotta it's the rite of passage. You gotta do you gotta do that thing to be. Like your uh, like your teammates, um, and obviously, yeah. like you said, you played college sports as well. I mean, I it, so it carried you pretty, fu- it, you know, ca- became a pretty big part of your life. It sounds like it, even through college, it did. Yeah, I mean, I remember kind of when I ended college, saying, "Gosh, sports was really a central experience for me." I could have had a different college experience where I didn't play sports the entire year round, but I just loved it. Um, I loved playing football and the camaraderie and the teamwork there. And track was, again, probably my stronger sport. Um, I was a pretty good hurdler, and I, I liked to run fast. And yeah. uh, and part of going to school in California was the chance to run uh, outdoors in the winter. I should have been yes. a freshman year at Carleton, but running on a banked indoor track underneath Laird Stadium's stands was just tough when that's what yes. you do until April. So I'm sure. I, I enjoyed being out there to play more. And, you know, some of my closest friendships came from it. It, it kind of defined the rhythms of my college experience and just gave me an appreciation for – um, 
for that part of, of your life. I, I made a college decision really based on sports, even though it was D3. It's not like right. I was a recruited athlete getting on a scholarship, but it was just so important to how I viewed my life at that time and, and still is. How do you then carry, you know, whatever perspectives you gain from that? You know, you've gone on to do a lot in your career and now you're here at the Star Tribune. Um, as you think about how we cover things, what role sports play in this community still, what, what role we play in kind of giving giving people access to that, giving people kind of the stories they want to tell. How, how does sports fit into kind of the philosophy you see of, of what we our identity, I guess, at the Star Tribune to a degree. Yeah. Well, great sports writing is one of the most enjoyable things to read that's out there. And I think part of it is you kind of – you get to see part of yourself or your friends or your family in the athletes that you're reading about. There's something universally relatable about sports, even when you're looking at someone who's tremendously talented and um, and skilled in a way that maybe you never were. Seeing kind of the emotions involved, the the prep- preparation, the competitive fire, there's something universal about that. Um, and I think it's a powerful way that defines what a place is. As a local news organization, obviously, we care about covering what's happening here. What is uniquely Minnesota? That's our differentiator. And of course, our sports teams are just that. We're very lucky in this market to have four professional sports teams and a great network of college and high school sports teams too. When you look at like the business of news, that's a huge advantage for any market. That's a tailwind. Amongst all the headwinds of media, a tailwind is having four sports teams to cover here because it drives coverage and interest. And I think uniquely now, at a time when people are a little fatigued by the news, yes. and you know, bad sure. news has been everywhere for some time, you could say yeah. uniquely the last four years, what the research is telling us and what our gut tells us is that people are looking for something to be excited about and inspired by. And I think that can be sports. No, absolutely. And is that what, I mean, you've been getting out in the community, you've been getting out in, in greater Minnesota as well. Is that, are you hearing some of those things from, oh, yeah. in listener sessions and, you know, as you, even if, or even as you talk to some of the, you know, other leaders in the state? Yeah. No, people love our coverage and they want more of it. I think there's an upside to expanding our sports world here at the Star Tribune. It's what people come to us for. It's by far our most trafficked category of the whole site. Right. Probably know. It drives interest. And uh, what our readers are telling me is they really appreciate it. They like it. They like to connect to it. They like to engage with it. It's not just reading. It's it's commenting. It's starting a conversation. It's having podcasts like this where you can go deeper into some of the issues that you do with your guests. That's a unique aspect of this content area that I think – drives a lot of interest from our subscribers and is an area we should really double down on. As you think bigger picture, like what have you, it's been, I'm sure it's been a bit of a whirlwind for these like 60, 70 days, like we, like we said, what are, what are you learning so far? What, what have been, you know, some of the biggest, I want to say surprises or things maybe you, you have, that have opened your eyes so far? Well, I think we have a huge opportunity at the Star Tribune to become a modern media company. I think today, you know, we have a model that has existed for quite some time that is largely still rooted in a really high-quality print product that we need to continue to produce, no question. It's right. of huge value to our audience. But today, we can reach our audience in so many different ways. And I Tell think, me about it. Yeah, yeah, we're doing it right now, right? And that is something that I think Star Tribune needs to sprint forward on and to reimagine kind of how we operate as a company to, to achieve that objective. I think we could listen to our readers and subscribers probably more than we do. We have a little bit of an ivory tower brand, in my opinion. We need to be out in the community more, talking to people, yeah. hearing what they want to see in their news coverage. You know, a, a statewide media organization, which is what we uh, would like to be, yeah. um, should be able to reflect so much of what a community is grappling with and, and navigating both the pride we feel in our state, the challenges we feel and the struggles we have, the areas where we need to improve, just knowing what's going on. Like, we can reflect a lot more, but you got to be listening. 
And yeah. that's not just the individual reporter level, but that's at the executive level too. You know, we need to be out in the community talking to people. So that's why doing a statewide tour for me early has been really helpful. I've been to almost 10 different places across the state so far, a few yeah. more to come. It, it's just been a great way for me to get out and talk to our readers and leaders and just hear the good, bad, and the the challenging at this moment for our state and figure out how the Star Tribune can better deliver for people and be worth paying for. Because ultimately, yeah. we're going to only survive if we can get people to to give us our hard-earned money to provide them a product they really value. I think there's maybe been a concern in the past that if you, I want to say if you listen too much or if you let audience dictate too much of what you do, it's almost like the tail wagging the dog, yeah, something like yeah. that. I, I think there's definitely a, a sweet spot in there, but I, I, def, I like what you're saying in that the audience is telling us we we know way more about our audience than we ever have. Uh, we know what they're listening to. We know what they're reading. We know up to the minute kind of who's who's doing what on StarTribune.com. Um, that's that's information that you just didn't have when you had a print a print product only. Um, so that's it's it's really interesting and fascinating and valuable information. But it also like sometimes I I struggle sometimes in seeing like ah, that story did really well. Like, should we do more of that? Or is that just kind of empty calories? Are we not giving people enough of what they quote unquote need or what we think they need if we're, yeah. if we're serving them in that way? So I'm I'm curious on kind of how, how you think we balance those things. Well, there's an art and a science to journalism, right? You've yeah. got to look at the data. You've got to look at what your community is telling you. You've got to listen for how you can be the most relevant source of information for someone such that they get a ton of value out of what you're producing. And part of the way you remain relevant isn't simply just chasing clicks or having the next BuzzFeed-style headline, but it is pursuing topics for which we have great expertise in the building on and finding the story that isn't being told. And so I don't think – I think it's a false choice between like pursuing you know only investigative deep yeah. stories that are you know uh, driven entirely by a reporter's interest and have nothing to do with audience metrics and – you know, only chasing clicks. I, I would think we can do both. We need to do both, but we need to be relevant. You need to yeah. come to us and say, like, I, I have to read the Star Tribune today or I don't know what's going on or I can't um, navigate the state or even my daily life as well as I could otherwise. Or I just want to go there because I have a lot of joy. I mean, people go to Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or Snapchat or TikTok because it gives them joy. They right. have a moment, they, they take a look. If you come to our uh, pages and, you know, all you see is bad news about what's happening in Minnesota or you – um, don't have a good experience from a technology standpoint, you're not going to come back to us. This isn't to say we need to sort of make our coverage about, you know, a, a Pollyannish view of the world. Right. But sports is one area where I think we can deliver on that sense of delight that we can give people and do it in a way that makes them want to come back three, four, five times a day. And that, that provides value, I, I would argue, far greater than Twitter or Facebook yeah. or Instagram. Um, not that we shouldn't be in those places too. Sure. But because we have a really high quality um, bucket of content to share with folks. How did your career path kind of inform how you now think about this media company? Because you've been at you know, Google, YouTube, and you were working with, you know, the, through the governor's office the last yeah. four years. It, it feels like an unconventional, but not, uh, but also a connected path that kind of got yeah. you here if you kind of think it through. I certainly never thought I'd be leading a newspaper. This was a surprise chapter in my career uh, for me, but I'm so glad to be here. I, I think, you know, what the board told me and what Glenn Taylor, who, of course, owns us, told me right. they, were, they were eager to get someone to come in who had an outside perspective at this particularly unique moment. And so while I've never published a newspaper before, um, I've been in technology. My job's at Google and YouTube both focused on partnerships with news organizations, with mm -hmm. public organizations, with nonprofits, with you know outside partners, which gave me a, a lens into this. I was a journalist earlier in my career yeah. for – 
for the Northfield News back in Northfield. And what was also, your best? What was your favorite story? Let's, I want to get back to this track, but what was the best yeah, thing you yeah, ever wrote? Uh, gosh, the Northfield News. I uh, probably the story I liked the most. I wrote a five-part series on the role and influence of Hispanic immigration okay. on, uh, on Northfield. We looked at everything from housing to uh, you know to sports to religion to job training and to, to language, and we sort of I wrote this kind of sort of pretty holistic piece on. All of the Hispanic immigrants living out at uh, at Viking Terrace at the edge of town okay. and how they were integrating into our community. Probably my favorite story I wrote at the Boston Globe was I did a profile of Lucky, the mascot of the Boston Celtics. Oh, that's fun. Which was super fun. He was one of these, you know, gymnastics uh, yeah. dunking mascots. Sure. The whole trampoline thing. That's great. Um, he had a great personal story, so I enjoyed that too. But, you know, you got to do all flavors when you're in, in media. and So I enjoyed doing that, and I kind of brought that into – into this job, not that I have a long career as a journalist, but I do have a respect for the craft, and I've done it before. Um, and then in government, you know, it was a very Minnesota-centric role. We're trying to grow our state. And in some ways, the Star Tribune is not that different from government in, in the following way, that it, it's rooting for Minnesota's success. And it does it from a different position using different tools and, and levers, but it, it's a very localized approach to creating a better state. And so, yeah, those things do connect. They're, they're a little different, but... I hope I can bring fresh eyes to this job because yeah. I think that's kind of what we need in, in the industry right now. What a few more things for you, Steve Grove, publisher of the Star Tribune, enjoying this conversation, and hope you guys all are too. Um, what makes you optimistic when you think about our coverage and the state going forward? Because I think you're right. Like we've we've been through a few things yeah. here in the last three four years. Obviously, COVID, George Floyd, any number of things you might want to branch off from there. Um, what what gives you optimism about kind of beyond where we are right now that we kind of maybe where we're emerging from to a certain degree? Yeah. Well, I can talk about optimism for the Star Tribune and for the state. My optimism for the Star Tribune is, is simply we have really great talent here, people who really want to succeed. They're driven by a sense of purpose. Even just talking to you before we sat down, you really care about your work, about about coverage, about reaching your audience, about making a difference through your through your journalism. I think I've seen that in so many of the folks that work here at the Star Tribune. That's a huge advantage. It makes me really optimistic, as does the fact that Minnesotans, I think, are rooting for us to succeed. They want a great statewide newspaper. They want to get great news and information. And so there's that sense that, you know, Minnesota wants a successful news organization like ours to do well. You know, my optimism for Minnesota more broadly is, gosh, look at all we've just been through. Yeah. All kinds of challenges we face. There's all kinds of top five lists that we're on and all kind of bottom five lists that we're on. We've got our work cut out for us as a state. But I would say uniquely to someone who moved away and came back, this is a state that really does have a lot of pride in who we are and wants Minnesota to be really successful. And you can't really say that is fully about every other state in the country. I mean, to me, having been able to spend 20 years away from Minnesota and, and talking to other Minnesotans outside of the state, other people who come from other places – to me, it was always kind of like Minnesotans and Texans. They had this sort of really deep-rooted loyalty for being here. Right. And the data proves this out. People love living here. When they move here, it's very hard to leave. It's a sticky state. It's a very big boomerang state. I'm, a, I'm proof of that. I came back. Yeah. Um, because we've invested in our people. We've invested in education, infrastructure. We try, always try to balance you know, having a kind of state where you want to live here because all the dynamics of living here are great and we aren't taxing you so high that you can't right. you know, uh, afford your life. So that's always that balance to strike. But it is a state that really is ardently proud of itself and wants to be better. And, and it's good at, I think, examining its problems too. So I'm optimistic. Um, but gosh, this is one of those moments in our history where the next few years are going to influence the next few decades of where we go as a state. Does that feel exciting, daunting? How does that feel to you? Because yeah. when you say that, it's like, I think you're right, but it also feels like it's it's 
Yeah, I think it's all those things. Yeah, it is all those things. I, I am excited about it. I mean, there are if you, there are very few inflection points in places' histories. Yeah, you know, it, 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 at least where you know it ahead of time, where you right? think you know it ahead of time. But you can feel that here. You know, coming out of George Floyd's murder and all the racial reckoning that we have seen in our state and that has expanded throughout the, the world and accelerated and, and COVID and all that it re- reshaped about our thoughts about where you work and how you differentiate yourself. It is a competitive time in the global economy and a competitive time even within our own country. The things that we do over the next few years are going to have a huge amount of influence on where people want to live, why they want to be here, you know, uh, how businesses grow, where startups come, you know, even how our sports teams do. And I, I, I am optimistic about it because I do think fundamentally Minnesotans are willing to put in the work and do great things. This state has one of the highest five-year business survivability rates of any state in the country. People start to fear that they want to succeed and they stick with it. This hardworking Midwestern ethic is yeah. not like a, a some kind of a you know cliche. It's actually proven out in the data. This is a state that does work hard. So I'm optimistic. It feels like sometimes we only understand those moments in retrospect, right? Like yeah. we we. We, we say, oh, that was obvious, but only after we saw what played out. So that's, yeah. it's interesting to feel like we're in that moment right now and be trying to do something to influence that moment. Um, if I might turn it back to sports really quick at the end here, if you could spend one day, one game going to any of our venues here in Minnesota, what would you pick? I'd pick Target Field, although I might not have said that a year ago. I grew up more of a Vikings fan than a Twins fan. Okay. And, and when I left the state, that was a big part of my connection back to it. I followed the Vikings almost more religiously than I do now because it was a way yeah. to kind of reconnect with home when I wasn't living here. But just this year, my son, who's six, has gotten completely obsessed with the Twins. Literally okay. every morning he wakes okay. up and he asks me for my phone to watch the highlights from the game the day before. Not a lot of hitting usually. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, but he's an early fan. So he yes. it's all, it's right. all cool. Right, uh, right, right. And he's having fun with it. We've been to three or four games so far this year, and it's just it's a great experience over there. Dave St. Peter and the team have done a nice job, I think, with with the group. You know that it's had its up and downs as a team this season, but they're fun to watch. They've got yep. good players, um, and there's just something about summer and baseball yeah. that's just magical. And gosh, what they've done to the game this year to speed it up! Oh yeah, get more it's tremendous. It's 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 game. like saving the game. It's, it, is. it is. It's. I mean, so we have we both have young kids, and it's just like you yeah. you if you can. It just used to be interminable. Like it used to be hard oh, to do that because you didn't know when the game was going to end. And yeah. now you kind of do, or at least you know it's going to be more like two and a half, not three hours. Totally. I read a story about Mark Leibovich in the Atlantic just last night about the backstory of how they changed the game. Yeah. Essentially all that went into with Epstein and, and yeah. Commissioner. And it was a fascinating behind the scenes look, but I think it really did save the sport. Yeah, I think it did too. I think it's been tremendous. And you and I are about the same age. So if you're talking about yeah. Vikings, is this like Randy Moss? Like yeah. right when you're about, right when you're leaving the state, is it about, is it around that time when he's coming into prominence? Yeah, it was about that time. I remember coming back home. I studied abroad in Tanzania in college for a semester, and I came back home the day before the Falcons NFC Championship oh. game and sat on my uncle's couch in California and watched it. And then the next day, I went back to school, and I was just like like all Minnesota fans, kind of devastated by it. Yeah. Um, but it, those were some fun years, too. I yeah. mean, they were just a, such a good team, so fun to watch. Um, and, you know, I think they have that, that shot again. Um, you know, when the Vikings have players who, who have a little bit of heart in them yeah. and, like, have some panache and a little bit of – that's when they do their best, when there's a little bit of swagger in the team. And, um, you know, I think uh, – I'm optimistic overall. you got to be optimistic if you're I was a gonna, sports fan. How can you not – Well, that was going to be my last question for you. <laughs> so you, uh, I'm, I'm going to test your optimism. Like, is one of these teams, especially is the Vikings, are they going to win a Super Bowl 
during our lifetime. They have to. I mean, I'm 45. I think you're in your 40s too. 46, That's yeah. 46, yeah. So, I mean, my gosh, we got at least 40 years left in us, don't we? I hope so. Yes. That'd be they, nice to know. Yeah. They got to find a way. Uh, and I think they will. Um, you know, I was just talking to my son yesterday about the twins in 87 and 91. What yeah. a magical period of time that was. And it kind of feeds on itself. And there's, it's not just about the players and the, and the coaches and the owners. It really is about the fans and the community. Like, yeah. there's something about rallying around your team that it's just, it creates that flywheel, and I think Minnesotans are hungry for it, and I'm optimistic it'll happen. Well, optimism is a good way to go into any period of, of time or life, and especially when you talk about Minnesota sports and when you talk about the Star Tribune. Yeah. Um, Steve, I think you give the Star Tribune some reasons for optimism as well, and I really appreciate your time here on today's show. Uh, best of luck, and maybe we'll we'll do this again down That'd the road fun. once there's uh, yeah. once there's even more to talk about. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Steve Grove. I know I sure did. I thought it was important to share his perspectives with with all of you, all of you listeners out there, just to kind of give you a better sense of of how our new publisher views sports, how he's looking at the Star Tribune, what lens he's looking through right now. I found it interesting. I I enjoyed talking to him, so I hope you enjoyed listening to that as well. And, uh, yeah, more to come with the Star Tribune as the years go on. Let's finish with the cooler. couple pieces of news. The Wild shows Rosemount center Charlie Stramel in the first round, 21st overall in the NHL draft on Wednesday night, rounds two through seven. Today, Charlie Stramel, tough freshman year with the, with, the, with the Wisconsin Badgers. They were not very good this year. Kind of really banking on his future potential, his uh, kind of what he's shown up until that point that that will be kind of a blip on the radar and that he will be you know that that he will be able to shake that off and will be the kind of prospect that made him you know a top 15 guy going into this season so kind of banking on potential over production at least in the short term with that pick but a 63 center that fits nicely into the organization so we'll see how he progresses over the years as you know as they as they will need like Sarah McClellan and I talked about the other day as they will need some of these young players to fill critical roles on their roster. And the Wolves, um, Torian Prince, no longer with the Wolves, waived by the Wolves ahead of um, ahead of a deadline that would have guaranteed his seven-plus million-dollar salary for this next season. So he is not on the team. Doesn't mean he couldn't, you know, come back here on a on a smaller deal. But for right now, no Torian Prince, a very good veteran pro, but a guy that maybe got a little expensive, especially after the Nas Reed signing. So. Looking to see what they do now is is Nikhil Alexander-Walker, a candidate to return now. Those guys maybe were a little bit of redundancy, things like that. The whole offseason still yet to play out for this team. Chris Hine and I, um, Timberwolves beat writer for the Star Tribune, will talk more about what is ahead for this team on Friday's show. So look forward to that. Until then, have a great rest of your Thursday. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Back at it again tomorrow.